0: Today's reading is from Daniel chapter 6, verses 25 through 27. Then King Darius wrote to all peoples, nations, languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. This is the word of the Lord. Stay up here with me, Jenny. Come on. (laughs) You guys can have a seat. Um, For those that do not know, uh, this is Jenny Smith. And uh, several months ago, Jenny uh, got a diagnosis of uh, breast cancer. And, um, and we've been walking with her, praying with her, watching her uh, over these past few months. And she has been so faithful and so steadfast, uh, fixing her eyes on Jesus uh, throughout this entire uh, journey that she's been going through. And it's been very, very inspiring to watch Um, So I'm proud of her. Um, I'm also happy to report that just recently she has uh, gotten some scans back cancer-free. And so, uh, yeah. And so she was smiling before, during cancer, and after, too. So thank you, sweetie. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Yeah, great, great stuff. Great, great stuff. Uh, Well, um, I'm happy to be back with you guys today after being gone for a couple of weeks uh, visiting our Point Bankus, our Bangkok campus, they' just put one word together. Uh, we were uh, away with a team from um, here visiting Lipoint bangkok and it 's been it was a great trip. asked some people that were on it, uh, and I man, it was a great trip. I missed you guys I really did uh, but let 's be honest, you probably enjoyed some shorter sermons from Ryan and Joe too so uh, I may have some rollover minutes uh, from them, checking the booth there if I can use those today, uh, but I'm actually happy uh, to get back here with you guys and tell you to uh, open up your Bibles to chapter six of Daniel uh, for week six in our series called Bold in Babylon. That's what we're doing as a church. So Babylon is this ancient city that opposed God and God's people. And uh, it's the setting for this book. But Babylon is also, according to Scripture, symbolic of all evil empires, wicked nations and civilizations that oppose Jesus and Jesus' people throughout all of history. Newsflash, we live in Babylon. It's where we are. And um, the Scripture says that we're exiles here. Aliens and strangers, destined for a, another place, another home, a greater place. But, but right here, right now, it's very tempting to grumble, to complain. It's very tempting to get bitter and just bark at the culture. It's also very tempting to, to blush over our beliefs or kind of withdraw into holy huddles and privatize our faith. It's very easy to do all of those things. But this is not the first time that God's people have had to live in a culture, be godly in a godless world. We've been here before, and we will do it again. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego show us what it's like to live in Babylon, to not become like Babylon, and then ultimately how to be bold in Babylon. And so today we hit chapter six, which is, man, it's one of the pillar stories in all of the Bible, Daniel and the lion's den, most familiar And most famous story, probably, you know, arguably in the whole Bible. And so when we come to stories like this in the Bible, there's two challenges that face us today. One is the challenge of familiarity. We've heard it, right? You've probably heard some version of the story. So we have to navigate through that challenge. The second challenge that we have in the story is, uh, is avoiding the risk of reducing this to a children's adventure story. Right? We, we hear it at the first level the, in our kids' ministries and VBS, and we, of course, we need to contextualize how we tell the story. We don't want to send them home with nightmares. But um, this is really not a little kid's adventure story of Daniel playing with cuddly kittens. This is a story about a lion. Lions are apex predators. They were created to kill and eat things. Like Daniel, <laughs> and so this story is not a little VBS, uh, you know, fuzzy kind of story. It's it's very real. It's a real story, real man, real lions, real teeth, real lion's den, and real God who supernaturally delivered him. And so today in this story, what we're going to do is we're going to walk through the narrative. And then there are going to be two points of application as we walk through. The first thing we're going to see is that boldness, which is really what we're calling us to do in the series Bold in Babylon, boldness is molded through consistency, and it's not mustered up in a crisis. That's the first thing we'll see. The second thing we're going to see is that boldness in the face of lions comes by staring at the greater lion. So those two things we'll see. Let's just dive in in verses 1 through 9, which gives us a, a great foundation for this chapter. Let's read this together. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them, three high officials whom, whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king planned to set over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought, found a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could not find ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. No error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius, he signed the document and injunction. Now, about 70 years has passed between chapter five and six. Um, king Nebuchadnezzar and King uh, Belshazzar has they both die. They are both passed on, and now you have this new king, King Darius, who is now the king ruling Babylon during the Medo Persian reign. And when we started this book, Daniel was a teenager. Now, in this scene here, Daniel is 80. He's an old man. Many, many stories throughout the, the scriptures they tell us these great acts of heroic faith, and they happen when people were so old they were still drawing their social security checks. This is a great encouragement, by the way, for seasoned believers. Seasoned believers, you know who you are, probably. uh, People who have less in front of us than we do behind. That's me. This is a great encouragement. To put it most plainly, old people can do awesome things for God. (laughs) Yeah, that's a great encouragement. we, We can see this. God does incredible things with an old man who is 80. And so, We can retire from our jobs, but we never retire from working for the Lord. So if you would identify as the seasoned believer and you would humble yourself, ah, yeah, that's me. Listen, stay busy in ministry. If you are on the sideline and you are tired, get in ministry. Even though you can see the end of the finish line, don't coast. Run all the way through that tape. And I love our church is filled with a lot of people like Daniel and they're in ministry. You know who you are. Stay in the race. God does incredible things through old people. All right. Um, So let's get back to the text here. Now, King Darius, seeking to establish his government so that he would suffer no loss, he began to put it in place and structure it. First, he took 120 satraps which these guys were the keepers of security and keepers of the money in Babylon. So he did that first. But then he appointed three high officials that served as governors, so to speak. And at those men, he promoted them from the previous regimes. And one of those men that he appointed as governor was Daniel. But Daniel found a specific favor with King Darius because of his Wisdom, knowledge, character, all those things. So King Darius sought to promote him above all the other officials, and he would basically serve as the prime minister of Babylon. But we know, we know that sometimes the blessings of the righteous can stir up jealousy of the wicked. Success breeds enemies sometimes, right? And so these guys, these men, they they hear about Daniel's soon to be promotion. They get insanely jealous. So what do they do? They try to start digging up some dirt on Daniel. Now, we're getting ready to get bombarded in this silly season of election with smear campaigns and vicious mudslinging. You probably already see the commercials, right? Don't vote for this guy. 30 years ago, they found him in the back of an El Camino. He was drunk, tatted up, bad night. Don't vote for that guy. In high school, man, that guy one time, he smoked a joint. And you don't want to vote for that guy. He, he touched a, a girl inappropriately when he was dating her 25 years ago. Like, cancel, cancel, cancel. That's what we're getting ready to see, right? Pause for a minute. Think about what if someone did like a, a dirt check on our past for a minute our dumb high school days going through our web history tax records social media interaction jokes we've told what if someone uncovered some skeletons in our closet like that scares me to death i don't know about you i will tell you what it does to me though quickly takes my thoughts from fear unto jesus christ who has removed every skeleton in my closet and yours too if you're in christ he will never condemn he will never cancel those who are in christ jesus that is a huge huge praise now i don't know if i'm running for for any kind of government though i'll tell you that i don't know if i want to get to that but you get my point so they do this this is what they're doing to daniel That's what they're doing. So after they do this extensive background check on Daniel, they find nothing, nothing. So now they look at him and he's he's hateable and he's impeccable. So before we even get to this miracle in the lion's den, we have the miracle of a squeaky clean politician. First great miracle in the story. Now, verse five says that, they, they resolved to this. Verse five says that they, we shall not find any ground for complaining against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. They knew that the only way they could rid themselves of Daniel was through a religious ruse, a, 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 an instilled conflict of church and state where Daniel would have to choose between the law of his God and the law of his land. And they knew what he would do. They knew he was a man of consistent character and commitment to his God. They knew that he would rather die than disobey his God. That was their plan. So they they go to the king. They say, king, we've all degree, uh, agreed to this. Now, there's the first dupe here. Daniel wasn't a part of it. So here he's, they're duping the king. Daniel was not a part of the decision. He would have never agreed with this. But they all come to the king and says, oh, King Darius, we think that you should issue a decree. We've all talked about this. We all agree. Issue a decree that for 30 days, no person in the kingdom uh, can make any prayer or supplication to any other god only to you oh Darius and if anyone does you have to put them in the lion's den and they will die so basically it's Darius appreciation month and if you didn't observe you could die again this is the this is the Overreach of the state, stepping into the boundaries of what the church does. That's what's happening here. And they knew, they knew what Daniel would do. They knew that Daniel would like what Peter said in Acts 5, that whenever there is a conflict between the law of the land and the law of God, we must obey God, not man. And they knew that about him. That's how well-known he was as a man of boldness. So that was the plan. Darius heard their pitch. He was flattered and fooled. So he sits there, and they're shoving papers in front of him. Imagine that real quick. They're shoving all these papers around. Just sign it, king. Just sign it. Sign it. It's all good. He signs it. Now we see the response of Daniel, verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day, and he prayed, and he gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. This is one of the highlight moments in the life of Daniel, and probably the clearest expression, most powerful expression of his boldness in Babylon And it's also a point for us to pause and and focus on our first point of application today. Here it is. Boldness is molded through consistency and it's not mustered up in a crisis. Give me a minute to write that down or ponder on that for just a moment. Right here in this moment, Daniel did exactly what they thought he would do. Soon as the... Document was signed, announced the decree. Daniel went to his apartment. He opened up the curtains. He got down on his knees, opened the windows, and prayed three times a day towards Jerusalem. Now, let me pause for just a moment. This idea of his posture towards Jerusalem wasn't nostalgia, and it wasn't superstition. Uh, back in uh, Solomon had actually told the people of God that a prayer towards Jerusalem was in fact a a posture acknowledging the presence of God in Jerusalem, in Israel. God had a special uh, place in his heart for those people. And so that's what he's doing there. They had also been besieged by enemies. God was disciplined. He was disciplining his people. And so Daniel would have likely been praying for the repentance of Israel. Insert a moment right now as the nation says, Pray for Israel. Rightly so. We should pray for the nation of Israel. But there's a way that we pray for Israel. Ultimately, we pray for the repentance of Israel, that they would turn away and they would trust in Christ. He is the Messiah and he has come. So we pray for all of the devastation that has happened, the loss of lives. It's, it's horrible. But don't forget to pray for the repentance of Israel. They have a special place in the heart of God. It's all throughout the scripture. So that is one of the prayers that we pray for the nation of Israel right now. Now let's get back to Daniel's prayer. His prayer life, probably in this picture here, we see uh, a great, I guess a great description of his prayer life is daring, defiant, and disciplined. I say daring because think about what he's doing here. He knew what the penalty for praying was. He knew it meant his death. And so how easy for it for him to rationalize not praying for 30 days. Hey, it's 30 days. I mean, it's kind of like appreciation month, um, moment of silence, religious inconvenience. Man, everybody else in the company is kind of doing it. I think for 30 days, I can just pray in the prayer closet. No one will have to know. In fact, I'm I'm convinced that if I, I pray, then I will die, and then what good would I be in Babylon, right? wouldn't, Wouldn't it be so easy to justify not praying for 30 days? Of course it would be. But he didn't. He got down on his knees and he prayed. He basically put his neck in their noose. He knew what he was doing. He prayed. For Daniel prayer was not just a matter of religious preference or just something he had to do. It was a matter of obeying the first commandment. For for Daniel, prayer was an idol-busting activity. For Daniel, prayer was not just private. It was public. For Daniel, prayer was more precious than his life the thought of being eaten by lions wasn't as bad as the thought of disobeying his God. This is radical prayer devotion, right? Like when I look at my prayer life and I look at Daniel's, I find mine lacking. I'm sure that you do too. And there's definitely no sense of me parking here and drive by guilting everybody on their prayer life. But, This should cause us to look upon prayer in a different way. How precious prayer is to Daniel and should be to us. So his prayer was was daring. He was defiant, but it was also disciplined. And I say disciplined because his prayer in the middle of this story was not this freedom fighter, antagonistic, Prayer in rebellion to the law of the land. He wasn't saying, Forget you, I'm going to pray. The text said Daniel prayed as he had done previously. It was the discipline of Daniel to pray three times a day on his knees publicly. Way more than one prayer. Daniel, you might say it like this Daniel was not a crisis Christian who only talks to God when he needs a favor. He had prayed before the ban, and he prayed after the ban. Prayer was a part of his life. The point here is that his boldness was not just something that he mustered up in the moment. It was molded over his life through consistent patterns of holiness. Aristotle said that excellence is not an act. It's a habit. I would say the same thing is true about boldness. Boldness is not an act. It is developed over consistent patterns of our lives through Holy habits. Think about Daniel's life for just a moment. He it wouldn't be a stretch to say that he grew up in a Christian home. We know that he was very had a very good foundation from his home life. Patterns of regular forms of worship. He went to church. He read the scriptures. He knew the scriptures. When he arrived as a teenager in Babylon, what did we see him do quickly? Well, He refused to eat the king's food. He refused to be defiled. So you already have a convictional man at age 13 or 14, whatever. This boldness began way long ago, not here when he's 80. We know he was a man of the word. We know he loved the Lord with all of his heart and his soul. We know that he's a man of prayer. We see it right here. This is something he regularly did. We also know that over the course of his life, that he was a man of character, integrity, trustworthiness, he was a good employee, and he showed up on time. Something to be said for that. We, we know that. He was thought of well by the insiders and the outsiders. How else did he get promoted through all the different kings in the offices? Because he was just a good dude. He he wasn't just loved by the church folk. He was loved by people outside of the church. He had a good reputation. He didn't cheat on his taxes. He didn't cheat on his wife. He was a man of purity. He wasn't sinless. Be sure of this. He was just a man who was above reproach. A charge against him could not stick. But this did not happen. The point is, is it didn't happen right here in the moment. It was molded over the course of his entire life so that when the moment came, he was ready. The decision to pray was made long before the moment that we're reading about right here, and so be the truth for us today. This is how we develop boldness, not in the moment of crisis, but it's molded over a period of time. What about us for just a minute? I think about this story, and it's always good to reflect and say, okay, I'm putting myself in the story. What if this happened today? What would I do? What would you do in this moment? And let's pause for a minute. Let's try to make this a little bit more realistic because no one here in America is going to go to a lion's den probably for doing something for God right now. But what is it? what are you going to do if another pandemic comes? And the state comes in and says, You can't meet and worship Jesus together with your church. What are you going to do? I know what I'm doing. I'll be right here. I hope you will be here too. What will you do? Let's just say it's not a state decision. Uh, clearly, the application here and the context is about states' overreach. But what if it's your boss? What if your boss comes to you and says, hey, the whole company, we're affirming now. We're affirming the whole LGBTQ community. If you're part of our church, or I'm part of our, uh, our, our company, you need to be that too. What are you gonna do? What will you do? What will you do if your boss comes to you and says, you can't say the name of Jesus here at work. We can't do that. Or he comes to you and says, Hey, you're going to have to work a lot of Sundays. You're going to miss a lot of times of worshiping with your church, your God. What are you going to do? To be bold in that moment, church, and to make the right decision to obey God and not man, it's going to require a boldness That begins with consistent patterns all throughout your life so that you're ready to make the decision today, not when it happens. It's gonna come through regular, consistent patterns of getting up in the morning and praying as Daniel prayed, getting up in the morning and reading the Word of God until you you see something that changes your heart. It's going to require you and me all, man, getting together with your family consistently and doing things like this that we put in your hand for your good and your family's good. It's going to require consistency in coming to this gathering of God's people every Sunday and not just coming when it's convenient. Every time we come in here, this empowers and infuses boldness in us. It reminds us that we're right, and we're conquerors, and we have to be consistent in being here, though, right? We have to be consistent in serving, in giving, and all these things that we do because these are the patterns of consistency in our life that get us ready for the moment when it comes. So we practice them now, so we'll be ready In the moment, boldness is molded through consistency. It's not mustered up in the crisis. Now, let me go through verses 11 through 20 and let me summarize for the sake of time. All right? So, as soon as Daniel drops to his knees, the guys catch him. It was easy to catch him because they knew he did it three times a day, every day. And so they see him, and of course, they run to the king, they tattle to the king, hey, Hey, King, you remember that edict you signed? Remember that injunction that you put in place that no one would pray to any other? Well, Daniel, your old, your beloved Daniel, he has been found and disregarding you. He pays no attention to you, King Darius. Now, I know you love him, but you have to do what you said you're going to do. You have to put him into the lion's den. At that moment, the king knew he had been duped. Saddened him. It, it grieved him, but yet he could not go back on his injunction. That was the law. And so he followed through. He put Daniel into the lion's den, had a stone rolled over the den and signed it with his signet ring. King goes home that night, doesn't eat, doesn't sleep. Will the God of Daniel deliver him? I hope he does i love daniel i need daniel i hope he does tosses turns like an insomniac all night next morning comes up he runs to the tomb he cries out he says this daniel did your god whom you continually serve save you now let's pause right here let's pretend for a moment that we don't know how the story ends this is one of those challenges of familiarity here. We know the story, but just hang in the balance for a moment as if what's gonna happen right here in this moment. So let's pick it up in the text in verses 21 through 23. Then Daniel said to the king, "'O king, live forever. "'My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, "'and they have not harmed me "'because I was found blameless before him "'and also before you. "'O king, I've done no harm.'" Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted his God. Here's our second point for today. Boldness in the face of lions comes through staring at the greater lion. The greater lion. This is the only time that we see any words from Daniel here in the chapter, only time he speaks. And notice that Daniel doesn't really elaborate on his lion's den experience. Notice he doesn't give a lot of details and say, yeah, man, it was really smelly in there. And it was hot. And they were breathing down my neck. And uh, I felt really scared. And I mean, I couldn't sleep at night. I was really hungry. Like, I was just tore up. No, he doesn't do any of that. Daniel's not the guy who's taking a selfie in the lion's den. Look at me, look at me, I'm a victim. He ain't doing that. He only gives us a brief explanation of what happened. He gives us the story of God's deliverance and his innocence, that's all he says. He says, my God has delivered me. My God has shut the mouth of lions, no harm has come upon me. And then he declares his innocence. He says, I'm, I'm blameless before you, king, and I'm blameless before God. In that specific matter, by the way, Daniel wasn't saying he's a sinless person. He's saying, in this matter, in this charge, I'm blameless before God and before you. The story coming out Uh, Dale Davis, a guy that that we like to read upon, he said this about this idea. He says that on the night the kings fasted, the lions fasted too. I thought that was good. The story goes on verses 23 through 24. The king, exceedingly glad, rolls the stone away. Daniel comes out. There's rejoicing. He's glad to see him. Then the king turns to all the men who accused Daniel. He takes them, takes all their families and their children, and he throws them into the lion's den. And they get eaten up before they even hit the bottom of the pit. Hungry from the night before, I guess. Now, I do want to say something about this. This is not... uh, God had not required them to do any such thing, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. That was not what was happening here what was happening here is you're seeing a wicked persian nation who who don't know the heart of god and their law put in place was to in, impose the penalty on people who had tried to do the same thing to the, they falsely accused so they're just doing to them what they were trying to do to daniel and it just shows us the depravity of a wicked pagan culture Now, the the chapter ends in verses 25 through 28. Once Darius had done that, he just acknowledges the God of Daniel bust out in this proclamation, very Nebuchadnezzar-like. He says, For he's the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall have no end. So far in this book, we've seen the testimony of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and now Daniel uh, be a powerful witness to two pagan kings. And so we can look at this, of course, with jaded lenses and and kind of be skeptical of their conversions. We we can. But the one thing that is clear as we look at this is that boldness in Babylon is attractive to the watching world. It's a powerful witness. When, When we stand up, And not in an angry, bitter, antagonistic way, but when we are bold and we obey God over man, there's something attractive about that to people. Not all people. It repels some people. Clearly, we see it here. But it's attractive to others. Let that be an igniter to our evangelism that when we're being bold in Babylon, man, we're, we're playing part of the Great Commission. Let that be something that ignites us to to take people with us to heaven, right? Happy is the church that's going to heaven. Happier is the church that takes people with them. Let that be something that ignites us as we go. Now, let's get back to Daniel here. Clearly, in this story, we see that Daniel survived the lion's den because he was staring at the greater lion. That greater lion, of course, was God. God was this great lion. He knew that God was sovereign over everything, including the mouth of a lion. There are no limits to God's sovereignty. We say things like God is sovereign over all or he's not sovereign at all over the mouth of a lion. And, God, and Daniel knew this. He knew that God could intervene into human history and do whatever he want to like we know that. He had heard the stories about God delivering his people from Egypt, about how God had miraculously done so many things throughout Israel's history, delivering them, delivering them. He had surely heard about the story of God's deliverance of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of the fiery furnace. He had heard all of that. So in this moment, he was so confident in his God, he was focused on the greater lion who is God. His whole life, though, was spent metaphorically in a lion's den. I want want us to see that, too. It's not just this moment he's in a lion's den. His whole life had been in one. Exile, enemies all around, people that oppose him, Threatening all of, lions were everywhere all around his whole life. But yet, he endured, and not only endured, he prospered in Babylon because he was consistently focused on looking at the greater lion who was God. This is why, church, the bottom line of this message today is the lion in the lion's den. This is why I'm not telling you to dare you to be a Daniel. Maybe you've heard that before. Uh, a church had preached, dare you to be a Daniel. There's nothing wrong, of course, with man being inspired by the boldness of, of, of Daniel. But that's not the point of this story. The lion is the point of the story. The lion that Daniel was fixed on that, that delivered him from the mouth of the lion. This entire story encourages us that in the lion's dens of our lives that we consistently stare at the greater lion, who is Jesus. Who is Jesus? This whole story, Daniel's chapter six, is just one big prefiguring of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the Christian duty, by the way, to see Jesus and all of Scripture. If you have done your quiet time or your Bible study with your group and you have not seen Jesus, you are not done with your Bible study yet. Go back. All Scripture points to Jesus. He is the true and better Daniel. Let me see if I can tie some things together for us. Like Daniel, Jesus was bold and he was faithful over the whole span of his life. And then what, he, what happened to him? Falsely accused by people who were threatened by his authority, jealous, trapped by the wicked. When he was, he refused to compromise. He obeyed God, his father, and refused to obey man. He was brought before a pagan ruler And that pagan ruler sentenced him to death. But Jesus didn't just endure the threat of death. He endured death. He really, really died. And while he died in the tomb on the cross, there was no angel there to comfort him. He was abandoned by God. Why? Because he Had the stench of sin all over him. He was bearing the weight of the sins of the whole world, and the Father turned his face away. And he died. And after he died, just as they had sealed the lion's den with a stone, they sealed the tomb of Jesus Christ with a stone. But he didn't stay dead. On the third day, when they came out to see the tomb, as Darius had done to Daniel, those who arrived at the tomb found nobody there. He walks out on Easter Sunday, resurrected, conquering death. Why? Because God miraculously, supernaturally delivered him and no harm had come upon him. When Daniel came out of the lion's den, he came out alone. Didn't save anybody else but Daniel. When Jesus came out of the tomb, he saved all people who would believe and trust in him as Savior and Lord. This is the gospel in Daniel. See, the reality of it is, is that we all actually deserve the lion's den. We are found to be blamed. We've all sinned against the holy God. We have skeletons all in our closets. We deserve to be canceled. But for all of those who trust in Jesus, we can like Daniel say, my Jesus has delivered me. He has delivered me. No harm will come upon me. I have, found, I have been found blameless before God. Isn't that an incredible proclamation? This is great news of Jesus. And if Jesus... Did that for us, church. If, he, if he's already gone into the worst of lion's dens in the world, he stood in the pit in our place, and if he's done that, don't you think that he would step into the smaller little lion dens in our life? The little pits we walk in around the other lions, don't you think he's there with us all the way through? He is. And that, church, is how we can endure and be bold in Babylon by consistently fixing our eyes on the greater lion who is Jesus. This is great news. Again, this is is the reason that we can be bold is because we stare at the greater lion who is Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, you have... You have informed our minds. If we understand anything that you've said today in your word, it's because of your grace. It's because of the Holy Spirit bringing us to understanding. So thank you for informing our minds. God, we, we don't stop there. We ask that you now, by the Holy Spirit, work in us and flame our hearts to love your word, to love your people to love your truth, to love Jesus with affections. And Father, we go beyond that and we ask that you, by the Holy Spirit, activate change in our lives now. Change us because of what we've heard today. Change how we speak, change how we walk, how we talk, how we live our lives because of your good word. And God, do that for our good and for your great name's sake. We ask these things in the great lion's name, Jesus. Amen.